This is a Flashpoint Extra. I'm Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. Hey, everybody. So this has been a big week in the Me Too movement, a big week in Philadelphia, in our area. And if you you've probably been on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and you've heard that actor, comedian, producer, America's dad, Bill Cosby, is now behind bars. Now, he began serving his three to 10 year prison sentence in Pennsylvania State Correctional Facilities on Tuesday night. He was convicted of sexually assaulting Andrea Constand back in 2004. It took years and the stories of dozens of accusers to take him down. Now, Bill Cosby is the first major celebrity to be sent to prison in this new Me Too era. In all, 60 women accused him of sexual misconduct. And one of his accusers, Victoria Valentino, says Cosby took advantage of her when she was 26. She says when she saw him getting hauled off to go to prison on Tuesday, she kind of felt sorry for him. When he was brought out in handcuffs, his jacket was off and his baggy pants were being held up by suspenders. And I had this moment of feeling sorry for him because he seemed suddenly so frail and that arrogant, pompous, rather terrifying presence was no longer there. Now, rumors had been swirling. It had originally been thought that Bill Cosby would end up at SCI Laurel Highlands. Now, that's a state correctional facility in western Pennsylvania that serves sick, infirm and elderly inmates. You know, they provide you assistance. It's like a convalescent home in behind the wall, basically. But I spoke to the Department of Corrections on Wednesday after they issued a statement saying that Bill Cosby is going to spend his entire three to ten year sentence at SCI Phoenix. Now, this is a brand new state correctional facility is located in Skippic, Montgomery County. Currently, Cosby is being processed there. He will meet with staff from medical and psych departments, and he is being housed in a single cell unit next to the infirmary. Now, Corrections Secretary John Weitzel, I've interviewed him before. He said in a statement that they are taking all necessary precautions for Mr. Cosby's safety and the long term goal is for him to be placed in gen pop with the rest of the inmates and for him to receive programming that is required during his incarceration. So what is it like behind the wall? I pulled out my Rolodex and I called up Haywood Red Dog for now. I did a story on him uh, over a year ago. He's a former juvenile lifer. He did 50 years behind bars in Pennsylvania State Correctional Facilities. He was released last year. He actually worked over at SCI Phoenix Um, when it was being built. So here's his input on what it's like, what life will be like for Mr. Bill Cosby and his new reality. Red Dog. Yes. We originally, Bill Cosby's publicist, his lawyers had said that he would be sent to Laurel Highlands, but the Department of Corrections said they make the decisions. And um, Wednesday morning, they said that he would be spending his entire uh, sentence, three to 10 years, at SCI Phoenix. What's the difference between the two facilities? Well, the uh, uh, lower house is for people that have, you know what I mean, defects and difficulties. You know, you wheelchairs or you blind or you crippled or um, dialysis machine. That's what that was set up for. 
you know, people that their health is bad. And that's all that's strictly that's all that's strictly that's all that's up there. And then and uh Phoenix is a regular is a correctional institution. He's not going they're not gonna give him nobody, you know, issue him nobody to walk him around or look after him, you know. I mean that's strictly gonna be up to the staff to do that. And so there's a big, is there a difference in the quality of life for somebody like Bill Cosby in those two facilities? Yes, it is. Because if if nobody volunteered to help him, then he might be on his own unless staff, unless staff helps him. You know, you know, like, like, you know, we saw on TV, he had somebody there and they, they might designate an inmate, you know, to uh, help him around. But rarely does that happen. You know, somebody might volunteer and go to them and ask, can they do that? But Laura Hollins, you know, I mean, it, they definitely will look after him and, 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 and somebody will be there to be, you know, his shoulder to lean on, help him go where he need to go, take him there, make sure he get there and they wait for him or either come back and pick him up when he go to eat, be somebody there that he, you know, will take him to child or when he got a go to any medical facilities or any treatment or any program, there'll always be somebody there to take him. But that necessarily don't have to apply if he if he stay at Phoenix. And everything in Phoenix, you had to come outside. Lower Hollands is, 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 is not basically like that. Phoenix is, is individual building. So they don't uh, issue him somebody. He got to come out of there and feel his way on his own. And so this is the reality is going to be starkly different for him now for the next oh, three to ten. Oh yes, it, it, it will be. Yeah, and that's they, you know, either like I'm saying they put him on a block where there's not too many inmates. The way Phoenix is made, he still have to come out to go eat, go visit, go to the hospital if he if they give him a job, which I doubt. But he has to leave. Each building is individual. It's like an army barracks set up. So he, he he's never going to be transferred from one room to a, a one building to another building under roof. And then it's like two miles inside of that joint. If they don't give him somebody to be with him, then he's going to be tapping that cane and by himself. And does that make him, I mean, this is, I mean, just the mindset. You said it's scary going in there just if you're going, if you can fully see and not being able to see. I mean, they're they're taking no, you know. They said they're going to do work to keep him safe, and they have him in a cell near the infirmary, and that's basically it. Were they going to feed him there? You know what I mean? If, if they're not going to let him, where we get a visit? He got to come out, you know. And uh, and this is going to be that time of the year where they got to issue him outside gear because it's going to be that time of the year where it's going to be cold. Going, it's been raining. It's going. We're going to have snow on the ground soon. So uh, by him being handicapped like he is, it's going to be a lot rougher for him. A lot rougher. Yeah. And so when you when you heard that, you are, were you shocked to hear that difference? Yes. Because I'm saying that's why uh, Law Island was made. So they don't have to worry about guys that have a handicap or a physical problem. That's why they built Law Island. In a sense, they didn't have a dialysis system in greatest for it. They was taking guys out in the street to go get dialysis. So they built that. And the cancer treatment, they didn't have that in the, in, in the institution. 
So Laura Holland was set up to handle all of that. This is a, a really a twist because we we seen everywhere he went, somebody had to hold his arm and take him. You know, and it's not up to an inmate to do that for another inmate. And so his reality will be, uh, I mean, people wanted him to have a harsh sentence um, because of what he did. And so he will have to get used to this reality. Did you ever spend any time in SCI Phoenix? When they was constructing it, I was going over there doing some work over there. They had the maintenance department going over there when they was constructing Phoenix. That's how I know um, how it is in the inside. How far, you know, it's two miles inside. We had the opportunity because I lived outside the wall in, a, in the work camp. So they had us going over there, like cleaning up, painting up, taking the, uh, uh, the beds and stuff in, boating the beds themselves. So I had the opportunity to go through there. And so you, you, you know, so in, in given this, this change and in, in where he will be located, does does your assessment of how things will be changed? Like what would it be like going in with those inmates? Because if he's there and he's going to spend three to ten there, um, you know, how are the inmates looking at him coming in there as a blind man who's a celebrity? Them, them guys in there, if, if they're looking to see that he probably going to, they think he's going to get special treatment. They might volunteer to help him to try to get on his best side, figuring they can get something from him. But uh, other than that, they're not going to treat them any, any, any special. It's rough for them while they're in there. And they have to endure, and they have all, they have everything. They have sight, they have legs, arms, they have everything. And they got to endure what this new jail has, has to offer. So they're not going to really feel too sorry for him and, and, and help him. They're going to tell him, he, you know, he on his own. Yeah, but do you think he'll be vulnerable to attack or anything like that? Or you think folks will just leave him alone? When you're handicapped like that, they don't, inmates don't bother you. They won't, you know, they might, you know, rib him and talk to him. But as far as getting physically with him, I doubt that. I really do doubt that. Yeah. They might say a lot of harsh things to him. So he but could they, suffer verbal abuse. Yes. Most definitely he will. And we talked about, you know, sort of like the the cells. Have you t- described the cells inside of SDF Phoenix? You've seen them. Are they different than w- Greaterford, where you were before? They're, uh, they're a, a little larger, but they have a, 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 it's a bunk in there, and it's a table in there. And, but everything is steel, stainless steel and steel. Yeah, so it's... it's Believe me, it's, it's, it's not soft. It's not comfortable. And he can't see. But like I said, whatever he bump into, he's going to feel it. He's going to bump into the metal table. He'll bump into the bed. In his situation, he'll be, he'll be stumbling around in there and he could hurt himself, really, where the cells are constructed. And so he kind of needs help. But the, at this point, we don't know. They said that they would, they would be keeping him safe or whatever, that this new facility at CI Phoenix um, had an infirmary that could provide the services that he needs, um, you know, and maybe with this new facility, that's that's part of the the issue. The older facilities didn't have what what he needed, and he's going to be next to the infirmary, so he'll be there. Now I'm told the infirmary is not bad, is what I was told, compared to what was in in uh, over in in Greater Fort. Now that's that setup might be a little better. It might be. I don't know for sure. I talked to a few people and I asked them. I said, "Well, wait a minute. Did they put an infirmary in that deal?" And they said they did. Still transfer guys out to outside hospital, whatever they might need outside appointments. So him, I don't know if he'll be able to go out for it. Like you know, 
Will's eye. His eye's got to be checked every once in a while. They don't stay on top of that. So I don't think they have that in the institution. He still probably will have to Google go out for that. Yeah. But this is this is his new reality. Um, you know, the food, he'll have to eat the food that they serve. Everything is just kind of there. It, it, it might bring the food to him. I don't I, I kind of doubt it, but they might. You know, since he, he is handicapped. So that means he'll be like locked down in the firmary in that area. And that that and that's even worse, really, because saying he at least you with us, you get to get out and exercise, you get to go walk, you get to see people. Now he won't have the opportunity to do basically he'll be locked down a lot. And they'll probably put him in a cell by himself. Yeah, that's where he, he is now, in a cell by himself. Okay, so he won't have time. He won't be able to associate with nobody, he won't, and then he can't see. So he'll depend on every, wherever he got to go. You have to wait until somebody with sight can come and take him wherever he need to go. So his new reality is is bleak. It, it, it's very lonely, his new reality is, and helpless. You know, he can't pick up a phone. He can't snap his fingers no more. He can't holler for nobody no more. Nobody going to just come and check on him until he needs to be seen. He'll be spending a lot of long time by himself. You just don't get up and just say, hey, I need to go here. Hey, I want to. If they don't call for you, you don't go. You do not move. So the tension that he was getting, he, I'm telling you, he's not going to get it now. None of it. And one of the things you said, had you gone up to the parole board more than once after this case came up? I, I went to see them just once, but they came in to see us a lot. The, the, the parole, I mean, they, that's one thing that what they do. The president and the whole board came in, even the victim's advocate. They came in the institution and they talked to us a lot, telling them what they expect, what they want from us, what they're looking for. They was very explicit about what you know what, what we needed to do to get their approval to make parole. Yeah, and so they're they'll probably do the same thing for Cosby because in oh, three yeah. years he go, he goes up for parole. Well, if he don't go, they they they'll set a program up. You know what I mean? Where you got to see psychiatrists. You you know what I mean? You got to take victims programs. You got to take school. You 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 know is, is you don't take any of them programs that they set up, then it's going to be hard for him to make parole. If he refuses to go to any of them, they want you to. It's a list, and you you got to go to that every day. You're going, and you sit in them classes every day. There's a class every day. There's somebody in the psychiatric department to talk to you. Every every, every day. went through a lot to get released this wasn't some i mean you did 50 years but then in order to get the parole you had to do a lot of things to prepare to, to be released every day i must have talked to uh, i don't know how many psychiatrists I, I i talked to in the course you might talk to two three a day you know and the programs that the victim program the violence prevention program the education, and they, you know, they they want to see how much education that you had and what you were pursuing. 
So every day, I'm telling you, under that process, you, you know, it's a lot. It's really a lot. Jobs are not important. They want to prepare you for society, and you got to pass that test of what they set out there for that criteria for you. Yeah, and who knows? I mean, Cosby has been deemed a sexual predator. And I know with sexual predators, if you get that label, it's even more. Well, he's going to take a lot of programs. Huh? I'm, I'm talking about verbal and written. They, they, you know, they're going to give him a lot of written literature to do. And he got to answer true, false, or he got to explain. It's not going to be an easy three years for him if, you know, if he can endure it. Because just, you know, you, he's going to go all day and some in the evening, then outside people, especially that come in, they'll talk to you. And then they have their own little homework that you got to do for well, them. Yeah, so if he's even thinking about getting out in three years, I mean, he has a lot of heavy lifting to do between uh, now and then, and probably it's going to take longer than that. Well, you, you, you deal with, with, with them, then you got to deal with what the institution got set up for you. You know, they got a program set up for you as well. The parole board got theirs set up for you. Department of Correction got theirs set up for you. So, you know, you're going to be busy. It's just not no kick with, oh, well, all right, I didn't, I didn't see these people, and I'm okay. As soon as you get seeing the professionals or the outside civilian people that's in different departments and organizations, then the institution is coming down with their criteria. They, they come, you know, uh, the commissioner and the deputy commissioner and them, they got a, a, a program, programs and stuff that you may have to go to once a week or two times. I had to go to a program three times, a different three programs, three, three times a week I was going down and going to a program. When outside people are coming, then you, it's no hiding. You have to do a role. Then they want you to admit what you did, why you did it, what type of person. I mean, it's, it's, they're not playing. They're very, very strict about that. You, you just can't, you know, cakewalk going through and sit there. And if you don't participate, then they grade you on that. If you sit in them rooms and you don't participate in any of them programs and exercises, then they grade you on it. And then that's a mark against you. And then that makes, that means you're going to be in there longer. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, and so he has a lot that he's going to have to go through because, I mean, so far it didn't seem like there was very much remorse, um, if any at all, you know, even at his sentencing. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks looking at this and they want him to do that time. When, when, when that organization come through, the victim's advocate, when they come through that, they, and then it's a, a member of the parole board that's strictly about that. It'll tell you quick, if you don't show no remorse or you can't talk about what you're in there for, then there's no need you even trying to apply for parole because I'm not going to give you my voice. I'm not going to give you my vote. If you don't sit up and, and you don't sit down and you don't discuss what you did and willing to, you know I mean, they, so if he's, don't show any, he's been convicted now. You know what I mean? So the best thing to do is to do the right thing. Well, Red Dog, you, I mean, <laughs> you're like an expert on this now. You know that? I mean, you're literally like an expert on, on this whole, I mean, the, the view of it from from the inside. And you've worked your way through it and, and, and now on the outside. So it's, it's wild uh, because... 
um, this is a peek into the system that I think a lot of people have no idea what happens in there. All right. Yeah, because if they think you just go in there and you do your time and then after your time is up, they let you out. People have careers and they're not going to let you jeopardize their career. And then I don't, you know, I don't blame them in that respect. But then you cannot start a healing process if you're in denial, some type of denial. You can't heal. You know, you have to deal with the problems. And the psychiatrist is not going to let you, you know, they, they'll give you a true false question. There might be 500 questions. It's a book. And you got to answer every one of them. So it's no, it's no cakewalk. So he sit up there like now and, and he better come up with something. And the best thing to do is to confront the situation and deal with it truthfully because they're going to come at him every day, all day. And they're not going to let him, you know, he can say, all right, I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to see nobody. And he'll do the whole 10 years. Believe me. Yeah, they're not playing. Yeah. And so, Red Dog, I just want to say thank you for talking about this. I mean, you know, you helped build SCI Phoenix. That's wild, right? And oh, yeah. um, and so that's where he'll be, and that's where DOC says he will stay uh, as far as they're concerned and that they have what it takes in those facilities to care for him uh, with the medical conditions that he currently has. And so <laughs> that reality is very real as of today. He was he was, he was. Put in there yet yesterday, and that's where he will remain, according to the Department of Corrections. Oh wow, they're really getting they're, they're, they're zero tolerance. I'm telling you because like I was saying, I've seen guys in there, you know, that was blind, and the guy guys that volunteered, though, you know, what I mean, well, look, I'll, I'll I'll take him where he need to go. They, you know, they they don't assign a guy or pay a guy to do that because that's health care. And inmates are not health care, you know? And it's not like he's going to come there and he's going to fake the game like I, I can't see it after I got here. Well, that's been established fact before he even got in there that he needed somebody. You know? And yeah. for them to keep him there, huh, I sure hope they are set up for that. Because if not, his movement is going to be very, very limited. Yeah, he'll just stay in his cell for the most part. Because you do need movement. Because you said a lot of that stuff there, stainless steel, you bump into something, you could really hurt yourself. So, yeah, yeah, yeah small yeah. world. So that that you you mentioned yesterday, you uh, you had a good line. You said, you know, the fear sets in once you get in there. You sit there and you get up and you look around and you touch this concrete wall. You sit on this stainless steel toilet and you used to, you know what I mean, this rich porcelain stuff. You, you you lay down on on a mattress that ain't but about maybe three inches thick if it's if it's you know at the most you only get one blanket or a sheet or whatever the reality set down and the fear will set in because who's gonna help you you on your they own you're on your own and you if you're used to being catered to that adjustment uh, it's gonna be very hard for him but very, that all his life you know he's been used to being catered to. Yeah, nursing. You know what I mean. So, but that that is the point of it, right? To to force oh, yeah. you into contrition and to atonement. Definitely, I've seen in his face where they they they. I, I see the pain in his face. It's showing all you know. I mean, his pictures and stuff. I can see it and and the fear and the pain that's in, and that's in his face. Because I mean, I've been around so many of them guys. I know what to look for and how to recognize. I mean, he ain't playing. He 
the fear is there and the pain is there. And now the reality, yeah. And so these victims, they want him to serve his entire time. You know, he's convicted at this point. Woman after woman has come forward, and this this will force him, even though he's never, you know, publicly apologized for this. So this will force him to sit and think about all the things that he did. And, 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 you know, and he can't get out until he heals and deals with it. The pressure ain't going to stop. It ain't, it, you know what I mean? You may think it's going to go away, but the pressure is not going to stop. So as I said, either <laughs> he got to confront it, conform to it, or he just going to drown himself in this until he just, he, he disappears and self-destruct. Now, I also added J. John Dow Harrell uh, to uh, this conversation. John Dye did 25 years in the Fed. He is now free and works in reentry. He also uh, added his input to this conversation. Take a listen to my interview with the two of them about prison culture and more. And what is success? And what is a successful adjustment? Because people are going to be, there's good people, bad people, all kinds of folks in prison and they see a Cosby who's blind, who's a celebrity, who they probably watched on the Cosby show. They see him roll in there. They grew up watching him. And they grew up watching him. What, what, is, what are people thinking? I would think that, um, for one, older persons are coming into the system are usually given the respect due their age. It's a part of our culture. And also he's a celebrity, and he's someone who we literally, he was America's dad. So he's going to be accorded a level of respect and honor probably far and above that of an ordinary person just walking into the door. Wouldn't you say, Red? Oh, most definitely. He's, he, there are going to be a lot of questions. Why? What happened? Uh, uh, can we help you? And are you going to try to, you know, help him adjust to the system by him? You know, you, you, now you don't call no shots. Now you have to listen, and you're going to have to people direct and tell you what to do now. Decisions are not yours anymore. And the worst part of, of being in prison is you're a part of a system. You're a number. You know, even though you may have been a major personality, you no longer are going to have the, the perks that are due to your social class and your status in life. Now you're on the same status as everyone else, and that might be psychologically the hardest part for him to adjust to, and also the physical confinement. One of the hardest adjustments in prison is when that door closes shut and you're confined to that small area and you can't go anywhere. And your entire life, your entire schedule is prescribed from morning till night. That's extremely difficult for human beings to get used to. That's more a person who was used to flying places, doing things, and living on a scale that most of us can't even imagine. Yeah. And and so, g- gentlemen, explain what it's like to, to sort of change your mindset. To, I don't know, Red Dog, you were like a kid when, when you had to change your mindset and go in. But, John Day, do you remember, like, what it was like to sort of shift gears to go into that uh, and to get into that routine? Oh, without a doubt. It's a... It's a, a tremendous change. You, you go from a fast-paced life where you're working, where you're interacting with your family and your peers and your neighbors and just general society to a place where you are basically invisible, where the system doesn't really see you as a human being, but just as a, a person who has 
transgressed and now needs to be punished. So you can only spend a, a certain amount in the commissary. Your diet is severely restricted. It's very difficult to adjust to when you go in. And it's also difficult to make the adjustment when you come home and you're doing something different. These three years or five years or whatever he has to do on this sentence is going to have a profound effect upon Bill Cosby physically, mentally, and psychologically. Yeah, and have you guys ever seen celebrity types or well-known people go through the system or be in, incarcerated where you were? I know you you spent you were in multiple prisons and have dealt with different folks, uh, Red Dog. Uh, uh, Andy Reid's son, I had the opportunity to, to meet him. Bernard Hopkins, I had the opportunity to meet him. Uh, the Fletcher brothers. So I, 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 over my 50-year period of incarceration, uh, I've met quite a few. Reinhardt, that was a, the school teacher, I've had the opportunity to meet quite a few celebrities yeah. and to see them really melt down. You saw the meltdown. You saw, you're saying that there was a, a point because they were used to living a different kind of life. And then, then they come in to Pennsylvania State Correctional Facilities and all of a sudden, boom, it hits them. That, 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 you know, that, that accepting that, you know, you're not allowed to do this. You can no longer do that. You need permission to do anything and everything. And them guys are used to being free willed, free spirited. The meltdown is, is some of them, you know, when they get finished, they're on all kind of heavy treatment drugs. But some folks maintain very well. Um, I was in the feds and I did um, many years in, in USP Atlanta with Nicky Scarfo. And he was certainly a celebrity and the godfather of Philadelphia crime. And he handled it superbly. So He just rolled in like, yes. yeah. I mean, he was, he was little Nicky Scarfo, you know. So it really depends upon... Your, your personality, and your previous life experiences. What I'm saying for Bill Cosby is, you know, you are going from being, you know, America's father, you know, to being an inmate. And that's a terrible dissension. That's a, a, a critical fall. Yeah. And one of the things that I've been told, and I've talked to a lot of folks on there when they've gotten out, they said that you have a lot of time to think about the, the whatever went down. I mean, Red Dog, you yeah. you talked about the transformation that took place in prison, that you were there and, and you know, and I mean, you had literally, it took you a minute to un- even recognize the finality of the situation and then to have to, to sit and think about it and because, and, I mean, that's because he can't, he can't see, so he can't read, you know, um, you know, he's just kind of there. It's, it's, it's conscious is going to be with him 24 hours a day, no matter where they put him at. Yeah. You know, the remorsefulness in his heart is going to push through no matter how he feels or if he's in denial or acceptance, but the remorseful part is going to be there. He's not going to be able to suppress that. The truth is going to have to come out. He's going to have to accept what he's done, what he thinks he's done, what he thinks he hasn't done. But your conscience is going to be the loudest thing in your room, in your cell, as long as you're there. You'll never be able to turn that off or turn it down. And that's what's going to be the biggest part of anybody, uh, Mr. Cosby's point of incarceration, his yeah. conscience. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, and I know the victims spoke today. One victim actually thanked him for his ego, his egotistical ways, because it allowed them to sort of band together and to get him off the streets. And 
the judge even said that they believed, you know, the uh, the prosecutor said that they believed that he had some kind of disorder that would make him a predator. And so he needed to do this prison time. And so this time would force him, you guys believe, forces you when you're in there with nothing else around to contemplate your actions. Well, the reality is that up to this point in time, Bill Cosby has never taken responsibility for his actions and said, you know, these are things that I did. I injured these women, and that's the reality. And you have to look at, in the parole process, a part of being parole is admittance of your wrong and accepting responsibility. As he's been given three to ten. Yes, he's eligible at three years, but if he goes to the parole board with the same attitude that he displayed throughout his trial, he's not going to get parole. Yeah, did you? And when you guys, when you, I mean, Red Dog, when you had to go to the parole board, and you got parole, I mean, of course, it was because part, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court hearing said, you know, you know, putting, you know, people who committed crimes as juveniles in prison without opportunity for parole is just cruel and unusual punishment. But when you went to the parole board, you had to do what? I had to admit the wrong that I've done. Yes. Mm. I had to show remorsefulness. Mm-hmm. I had to show that I have grown and I accepted what I, the punishment that was administered to me, be it if it was right or if it was wrong. Mm-hmm. You, you have to pay for the things that you have been found guilty of. Now, you accept it and you adjust to it or you accept it and you rebel against it. But I chose to grow up. I was a juvenile. I was a kid. I was a child who thought he was a grown man. But the world owes you nothing. You're responsible for everything that you do. I was responsible. So I had to accept that responsibility and admit that I've done something wrong. Ask for forgiveness. Yeah. And you, I mean, Red Dog, when you were in there, you saving people's lives, (laughs) fixing the prison, you know, you, I mean, and, and the other folks who ran the prison was trying to get you out. So, yes. that, that, first of all, that's crazy. You know, don't, don't, I've never heard a story like that. That's why I love this story so much. But, but you know, your your level of, uh, you know, um, remorse um, is, is, is why I think so many people gravitated um, to what, uh, to your story and what you were doing. And so I do want to wrap this up, but, you know, this is going to be a hard lesson for this man, one that his accusers felt like is long overdue. Yes. Um, we had this discussion um, in our circles when this case first surfaced. There was intense discussion as to whether he would ever be convicted. And my position from the beginning was when so many women are telling the same story, there has to be a truth in that. And there came a time when he needed to come clean and say, this is what happened. Well, that never happened. He went to trial. He was found guilty. But in order for him to come home, he's going to have to face his actions and show some remorse. And as Red Dog said, ask for forgiveness and take responsibility for his past actions. Yeah, and I won't even go into because not everybody is actually sorry when they do this stuff. But, you know, he's going to have to come up with something. Uh, and, and it needs to be genuine. Yes. These parole boards no. are very used to uh, BS, right, Red Dog? I mean, I would think that they are. 
Oh, yes, they are now. Believe me, they're experts at, at recognizing it now. You know what I mean? And then, and like I said, he, he has to start applying the healing process. He has to from the inside and then work on the outside. He, he, he has to start healing. And healing means acceptance. First, you have to accept and use this opportunity to start healing inside. And then he had to come out and apologize to every person that says they were a victim of his. He, that, that, that's part of, of accepting. You have to do that. Yeah. Parole board is not going to recognize him or Sam until the victim's representative advocate, if he don't administer an apology to every last one of them people that he accused of doing something wrong to, then he's going to wind up doing that whole 10 years. This has been a Flashpoint Extra. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. You can follow the show on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. My Twitter handle is Cherry Greg. Flashpoint airs on KYW News Radio, 1060 a.m. on your radio dial every Saturday night at 930 and every Sunday morning at 830. You can also listen to the show via live stream on KYWNewsRadio.com. And if those times don't work for you, check out the Flashpoint podcast where you can hear exclusive full content by logging onto the Radio.com app, the Apple podcast app or other platforms. Um, For the podcast, you only have to search Flashpoint KYW. And if there is an issue that gets you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll make it a show topic. Or how about a Flashpoint extra just like the one you listen to? Flashpoint family, I truly appreciate your support. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next time, thanks for listening.